Hello and welcome to another episode of Movies Last Night. My name is Scott Anderson. Today I'm joined by Chris Hinson, Eric Abraham and Zach Stevens. Um, we'll be talking about Alex Garland's 2022 horror movie, Men. Um, but guys, before we get into it, uh, it wouldn't be Movies Last Night unless we talked about some random bullshit before we get into actually talking about the movie. Um, and I was, obviously my first idea for this podcast was going to be our top five this week should be top five men. Just your top five men. Could be anybody. <laughs> like Andre Agassi, Barack Obama, anybody. But I think that would be a little weird. So we're not going to do that. Um, next thing we were talking about would be um, top female performances in a horror movie, which is a fun one, which I'm sure we could all do um, pretty easily. But then, as I was thinking, uh, it turns out that it's actually June. Well, we're, we're heading into June. It's the end of May. So we're pretty much exactly halfway through the year. With that being said, I thought it'd be a good time to stop back and look at the year that so far, 2022, and kind of give a halfway point on what movies, you know, we're going to pick a top five. We're going to do top five, what we think so far are our favourite movies of the year. Now, obviously, the fun thing about doing this is we can look back to this when we do our end of year recap for 2022, and we can see what things have changed. And um, because I think you guys will admit this too it's it's funny when you watch movies as much as we do that you kind of tend to forget about the movies you see early on in january because you get caught up in the end of the release um when you're heading into oscar uh, territory you know what i mean so like i feel like a lot more attention is given to movies post summer blockbusters than it is the the quieter movies that drop it earlier on in the year but um it's also i think a good time to find some gems some hidden gems in like I don't know, see something that's a little bit like you, you wouldn't normally catch because there's not as many options at the theatre. So with that being said, we're going to go round robin style and I'm going to go around the room based around how you guys are on my monitor, my Skype screen. So we're going to start with your number five pick and I'm going to start with you, Chris, first. Number five pick. Mm. Well, it was a joke. I was going to say Morbius, but it's actually turning red. <laughs> that, that Disney Channel... Uh, that went you know, Disney Plus uh, like exclusive movie. You know, that was a fantastic film. Is that a Pixar movie? I think it was. Yeah, I think it's Pixar. Yeah, it's Pixar. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the movie where like it's uh, like the red panda, the giant red panda, mm-hmm. and it's the girl who turns into the panda? But it's like kind of like a metaphor for her having her period. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Has anybody else seen that movie? I'm not. No, I have not. I, I haven't. You I know haven't. what? I, I, really I want to say they were showing it in the break room during one of our, like, you know, food things. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, Chris, it's on Disney Plus, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that. Okay, cool. So thanks for that, Chris. Uh, over to you, Eric. Uh, my number five. Um, so the list that I compiled, I'm not. It's not like this is the best one that I've seen so far, or anything like that. But there is, I, I'll put a caveat on that. There is the one that I actually chose. Number one is my number one of the year so far. But uh, so number five okay. is all my friends hate me, oh, uh, which we did a, a review on one or two episodes ago. Excellent. Zach and Chris, have either of you guys seen that movie? I've not, I've not even heard of it. Not yet, not yet. Yeah, you get it on your radar for sure. It's really, really good. Um, I saw the trailer; okay. it looked pretty funny. Yo, yeah, definitely. It's it's one hundred percent worth a watch. Um, okay, Zach, over to you. Uh, so my number five will be Duel with Karen Gillan and uh, Aaron Paul. I thought it was just a 
surprisingly quiet yet, you know, uh, kind of a thriller. Um, just a different take on cloning. Thought it was pretty, uh, pretty entertaining. So that's my number five. Okay, wicked. Um, okay, so if it's me, then in that case, I'm gonna kind of do something similar to what Eric said. Is that like my? I don't know if I'm like set in stone with my order from five to one, but I'm pretty confident that my number one is my number one. So with that being said, um, I'm gonna pick everything, everywhere, all at once uh, as my number five uh, entry for this year. Um, there's not much need to be said about this movie other than what everybody else has already said about it. Uh, Chris and I did an episode on it, um, so go back and check that out if you're interested in that. Um, just uh, pretty pretty special film. I, I think I just read recently that it just passed $50 million. Uh, so to put that in perspective, that movie took more than the Michael Bay movie took, Ambulance. It took more than um, that's the Lost City of Z or Lost City of D or whatever it is with um, Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum and Brad Pitt. So to give it, just to put it in perspective like that, for an A24 movie, it's about the closest thing they've had to a blockbuster. And that movie just, it's still in cinemas right now. Still, You can still go and catch it pretty easily. Um, it's a bit of a phenomenon, I think, for this year. And so that's my number five pick. It's fantastic. Okay, Chris. Number four. The Batman. Nice. <laughs> That's I mean, yeah. we, we, did a whole, we did a whole episode on it, The Batman. I know, right? Not much to say. Yeah, The Batman. <laughs> okay, cool. Eric, number four. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's, um, we had mentioned that we didn't have to do just all uh, movies we could do long form TV shows as well. So I have a couple on my list. Um, so my number um, four would be uh, it's like a short docuseries. It's about three episodes. It, it's on Hulu. It's called Captive Audience. Um, it's about a child that gets abducted in California in 1970, 73, I think, 73, 74, something like that. And then, um, or the mid to late 70s. Anyway, uh, and then, uh, no spoilers, but I mean, it's in the trailer. Uh, he turns up seven years later, and it's about um, his what happened in that in that time period, the kind of craziness that happened in that time period, and then the craziness that took after that time period because this is way before um you know obviously the internet uh it's way before it's like right at the beginning of uh uh sensational uh, journalism where you know you have like all those like shows that that it's all about uh, whatever topic is just kind of in the news you know from like uh you know the satanic panic or uh you know, stuff like that, you know, stuff that is just like so bizarre, um, today, but, uh, no one was really covering it on a 24 hour news cycle. Well, this story kind of captivated a nation and, uh, you kind of get to see the fallout, uh, that happens, uh, with the family itself. They actually made a television movie, uh, on like the, it was like the movie of the week sort of thing. And it was split in two parts and it was like, it had almost better ratings than, um, like the Raiders of the Lost Ark or some, something like that. Some like crazy, like uh, television wow. ratings. Um, and people were just captivated by the story, but then 
in episode three, there is one of the craziest twists I've ever um, heard of happen to just one family. It, it's it's human drama. It's just it's you can't believe everything could, that could happen to just one family, um, and you get a lot of um, uh, talking heads interviews with family members, um, photos. Um, and, uh, tons of video review because they were like being filmed almost 24 seven. So, uh, super interesting, kind of flew under the radar. It just released not too long ago on Hulu. It's called captive audience. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. It sounds really good. Okay. Over to you, Zach. So my number four is, I just watched this on HBO max. Uh, it's the new George Carlin docuseries. Uh, I thought it was very, it was funny, but it was really interesting just as him as a person and a lot of stuff that I didn't know about him in terms of growing up. And, you know, I got into him because I was a very irreverent Catholic schoolboy. So when I first started hearing his stuff, you know, that was definitely related to that. And he was just a very misunderstood guy. You know, he had really bad drug problems, you know, had really bad problems with the IRS um, and, you know, chose to keep on reinventing himself from when the beginning, he was a very straight laced, uh, comic in the late fifties, early sixties. And then it shows him, it's almost like every decade he evolves into some other style to kind of keep pace or get ahead of the game kind of, but, uh, just really good interviews from people that knew him. Uh, yeah, just so I highly recommend the new George Carlin documentary. And you said that's HBO? HBO Max. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I want to check that out too. That's two so far. That, well, and that and Turning Red that I want to catch too. Um, my number four pick is uh, Jewel, the Riley Stearns movie um, with Karen Gill and Aaron Paul. Um, once again, we did an episode on that movie. Highly recommend it to anybody. Um, it's just a, it's a really fun, um, really interesting um I don't know. It's, I, I just think it's a good time. It's a good time. And it's also like the emergence of, I think, somebody who's going to have an interesting voice in cinema going forward. So I want to see where it goes. I kind of feel like catching Riley Stearns right now is almost akin to catching, like, not on a visual level, but it's akin to catching, like, a, a bottle rocket by Wes Anderson or something earlier on like that in terms of he has such a unique voice. So um, Jewel was be my number four choice. Um, Chris? Um, my number, <clears throat> we're on three, right? Yep, yep, three. Number three is Men, which we will nice. talk a lot about in this episode. Okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, my number three would be, uh, The Batman. Uh, I nice. recently, I'd only seen it once and that was just a, a theater release. And I know you, I... I think some of you guys have seen it like nine times or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like a work week right there. Um, but I had thrown it on like uh, a couple days ago. I was uh, I was messing around on HBO. I was trying to watch something. It wouldn't load up. I was like, well, let me try something else just to make sure that the, there's nothing wrong with the service. So I just started The Batman because it was the first thing that popped up. And... It just completely pulled me in, and I forgot how good it was. Uh, so it 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 plays amazing. It looks amazing. Um, I want to watch it again. It's like it's like I I can't believe that I forgot how good this movie 
really turned out to be uh, very surprising, very surprising. Uh, so yeah, that's my number three. Okay, awesome. I'm kind of pleased. You, you seem like you're warming a little bit more on it too. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, like, yeah. appreciating it more. That's awesome. Um, okay, Zach. Uh, so my number three will be X, Ty West. Uh, very funny, entertaining, slasher, uh, almost weird, dramatic, old people love story. <laughs> Just really good humor. It's The look of it looks very like late 70s, early 80s type of uh, cinematography. I just like that it's set in this one location, you know, and they make it all happen throughout. And yeah, really good violence and some other really not so good stuff that looks just grotesque. So yeah, number three would be X. <laughs> okay. Um, my number three would be The Northman, um, which uh don't really need to say much about that. Again, we did an episode. I feel like we're to say this a lot. We did an episode on The Northman. Of course we did. Um this one I feel like is in flux. I think I could I could go up on this one by the year end, but right now I'm kind of happy sitting at where it is. Um, great movie. Once again, I saw it too many times, so I think I'm getting a, developing a habit of seeing movies too many times, which is not always the best thing to do. Um, but yeah, great movie. Not much else to be said about it. Um, I feel like pretty unique in in terms of like what we're going to see this year. I don't think we're going to see anything else close to the Northman. I think it's going to be kind of like uh, stick out by itself uh, by the time we get to the end of the year. But yeah, Northman's number three. Um, over to you, Chris. So the Northman is my second film, but I, I'll just add, I don't like period pieces. I have some kind of strange hang up about them, but it sucked me all the way in and I loved everything about it. And I felt very much that I was in that period. So that's all I'll say about that. Okay. Awesome. Eric. So my number two is what I think is one of the best um, long-form horror shows that I've seen in a long time, and that is season three of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, this one kind of took me by surprise. Uh, it's like every single episode he's, he's building on uh, – a storyline that kicks through the entire thing. Uh, subject matter is just amazing. Visually, it looks incredible. The characters go through this crazy, like ride through through um, through Amsterdam, um, and you get these little like side uh, episodes that that add to the story, add to the themes that he's trying to kind of convey. And they all wrap up. There's like the, there's this through line story that kind of, that weaves throughout the entire thing and hits about the middle and then hits at the end too. Uh, I mean, I just, I really, really think that there's um, something very special about Atlanta. Um, And it's not like any other show that, that is out there. It's a show that's constantly taking chances constantly like like needing you to think about it as as you're watching it but i mean there's like tension to everything in it i i think it it is one of the best unintentional horror shows that that is out there right now i don't know if he meant to make it a horror but i mean maybe he did it's just it's so great it's just it's just what i wanted 
Awesome. And I just want to put in a quick caveat before we get you, Zach, that um, I know if you're listening to this, you might be like, well, it's a long form TV show, but we did say that that we, that's, you know what I mean? I think we can include those in this list. Um, For sure. Because especially with something of the caliber of Atlanta or, you know what I mean, whatever, I definitely think that's fair to include that. So over to you, Zach. Uh, so my number two will be The Northman. Just, I mean, we, like Chris said, there was an episode done, but yes, uh, Angie's, uh, it was just a really good, uh, you know, action drama kind of got the little bit of a supernatural thing to it, but yeah, Northman, my number two. Okay. Well, I'm going to be pretty boring and I'm just going to echo Eric. My number two is season three of Atlanta, um, which is sublime or, and, um, without giving away any spoilers, the end credit sequence at the end of the, I think it's like the ninth episode, the final episode is just like for a TV show, it's just, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of mind boggling. Um, and there's some, some really cool stuff that they're doing with the, and I think that's like, I, I mean, I think everybody says the same thing about Landa. Yeah. We know Donald Glover is like a genius and, and you know, and the cast, ex, like Sazzy Beats is phenomenal. And like the cast is just, uh, what's uh, Lakeith Stanfield, I think uh, mm-hmm. his name is. Wonderful. Um, I love how it's set primarily in Europe. Um, and I like how it's just flagrantly just uh, refuses to follow any kind of like genre stereotypes or like, it'll just do anything at once. Um, and at no point does it feel like the wheels are off. It always feels like it's kind of focused despite how crazy it gets. Um, it, which it's very really, really kind clever. of intentional with what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's superb. I think it's um, it, like, yeah, I think it's really, really good. I think it's been a lot of good television this year. And um, I would give an honorable mention if uh, at this point in my number two, I, I wouldn't include it on my list, but I think the new season of Stranger Things is pretty fun. Um, there's There's been, yeah, there's been quite quite a, quite a dearth of good quality television. And um, I think it's going to keep going. So when we revisit back at the end of the year, I definitely think we should include TV in our list. Or we could do maybe as a separate list where we do like, top 10 mm. movies like top five tv shows you know what i mean like that yeah. separate the list off yeah i think that'd be fun um okay so chris uh, this would be your number one pick well it seems like we all have very similar tastes because mine's gonna be everything everywhere all at once there you go and i think just because it <laughs> deeply deeply impacted me but also i wasn't rushing to go see it again because it felt like such a crazy experience to see it in theaters and just i want to remember it as that so i actually haven't seen it since i'm probably gonna watch it this coming week but yeah, I loved it. Okay. Um, Eric? So my number one is The Northman. Um, it was one of my uh, most anticipated movies of the year, and uh, it didn't disappoint. It gave me everything that I wanted. It, it gave me more. I got chills during certain parts, you know, goosebumps. Um, and I just rode that roller coaster all the entire way. Perfect ending. Um, yeah, I mean, everything about that movie. And I, I just really look forward to everything that he's going to do in the future. Um, and I think, you know, all his movies will have that amount of anticipation because he just hasn't, he hasn't put out a bad one. I mean, it's number three and, you know, sometimes you'll kind of notice like a slump somewhere in there, but I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I mean... Uh, the Witch, The Lighthouse, and The Northman. Just give me more. Just give me absolutely more of it. Uh, I love that movie. Awesome. Um, Zach, number one. 
All right, so my number one, and I've seen this movie three times now. Uh, it is an HBO original. Uh, it's The Survivor with Ben Foster. Uh, just a fan, fantastic, not just a World War II uh, Holocaust drama, but like a fantastic boxing drama, um, a relationship drama. You know, it starts in the where he gets sent to Auschwitz and his his girlfriend gets taken away. So that plays a key throughout the whole movie. But it, it pauses from like the early 40s to the late 40s where he becomes a boxer in New York. And then it shoots to the early 60s where it's him as an older, um, kind of washed up, still trying to find uh, his girlfriend. But Ben Foster, he got a great accent. He starts wearing different prosthetics as he gets older throughout the movie. But there's just some really good scenes in the a concentration camp between him and kind of his handler who's this german officer who doesn't really believe in the third reich but he's got his reasons it's just a really really well done well acted um drama but it's a great boxing movie too if you like cinderella man with russell crowe you will love the survivor so yeah survivor number one okay Excellent. I want. I really want to check that out. I keep and Ben Foster is such an underrated talent. I think, and uh, I like anything. I like all boxing movies. I I have a bit of a soft spot for boxing movies, so definitely going to check that out. Okay, well, I'm going to kind of echo Zach a little bit. My number one movie of the year is an HBO original. To um, it's Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy, which mm, came out. I think yeah, it came out yeah. early on in the year, like January. Um, February maybe, uh, starring um, the delightful Zoe Kravitz. Um, big fan of Soderbergh. Um, I don't really think I've seen anything by Soderbergh that I didn't like. Um, and it, for a director that covers so many different genres and styles, he's pretty pretty effortless in the way he, he moves around. Um, the thing I really liked about this movie and the thing that really stuck with me is um, it's, it was filmed during COVID um, and it's one of the few movies if not the only movie I think I've seen, I'm sure there might be one or two other ones, but that directly addresses, it doesn't address COVID, but COVID is like, is integral to the story. So part of the setup is that we have a woman who's worked from home. She works from home. She's like a, a tech analyst, software analyst, um, something like that. She does like technical support for the, um, you know, like an Alexa or like a Siri unit mm-hmm. where I can record everything go- that's going on. When she's doing tech support, she actually comes across a recording of um, a crime taking place. Um, so throw in the fact that she is um, agoraphobic, um, but tied in along the narrative that COVID exists in this world, um, then you also have like, it's your classic kind of, which is a big part of the reason why I'm so excited for The Watcher or Watcher when it comes out this year is it, it's a style of film that I really like, which is um, like single location, like rear window style movies. Mm-hmm. Like I really, really like that. Like, um, you know, par- like paranoid thrillers. Um, in, and there's been so many of those types of movies, but it's just a, it's a genre that I really like, like Panic Room or, you know what I mean? Even like that um, uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, did a, like Disturbia, yeah. And I know that's just straight up, but I like it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a genre that I like. Uh, Soderbergh, I love. Um, I think Zoe Kravitz is excellent in pretty much everything. Um, the the rest of the cast aren't really like anybody too much of note that you would I could really call out right now but um I would say so far that's my favorite movie of the year now 
you will notice that I have made some omissions, some pretty big ones from some movies this year. But I think that's just because I'm in a state of flux and some movies I've seen too many times. Like I've seen the Batman, I think too many times to be kind of like objective about it anymore. Mm. <laughs> Whereas I think I might've like soured myself on that movie. Um, and I was pushing that with the Northman and everything everywhere and so on and so forth. So I'm sure when we get to the end of the year, things will swing around. And also I think maybe a lot of you guys expected me to have men on my list. Um, but as we get into men, I'll talk about why I'm conflicted with men. Um, but men definitely will be in contention for my top 10. I just have to figure out how I feel about the movie. Um, in and we'll get into that when we start talking about the movie. So that wraps up everybody's top five of 2022 thus far. Um, before we go any further, guys, is there anything right now on your radar? If you had to pick one movie that you're most anticipating for this year, like, because we've got another like six, seven months of the year, um, what would be your most anticipated movie for the rest of the year? Hmm. I know uh, what mine is. Well, I mean, I've told Eric. I told Eric today. I hmm. go, I'm waiting for Black Phone. I'm waiting. Wait oh, patiently. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like June twenty fourth. I think. Man, I feel like that movie's like a unicorn. Like, I feel like it doesn't exist because it just like you saw the trailers like two years ago and it's still right. Out. It's yeah. on that Top Gun trajectory where it's like, man, maybe, yeah, right. You know, except that one came out. Um, maybe yeah. I know with Top Gun, if you do what what is like the Applebee's, they'll they'll you get to see it for free. Maybe with Black Phone, if you order like a Domino's pizza, you know they'll they'll give you a ticket or oh, something. Nice. I don't know. Nice. Um, I think, I think maybe one of my most anticipated is a, uh, little independent movie called Resurrection. Um, it is starring the actress who was in the night house, uh, last year who that made our top 10. And I think it is a psychological drama, everything that I'm kind of getting from it, psychological drama about a woman who's trying to, uh, protect herself from an individual who kind of damaged her in the past, but it looks very much, uh, like a psychological thriller drama, a lot of stuff going on. And right now that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Awesome. How about you, Chris? I've got to flip the script a little bit. I don't really have any movies I'm looking forward to except for Thor. I'm kind of taking it month by month. Mm -hmm. Okay. So any suggestions I'm open to. Isn't Black Panther two coming out this year? It comes out in November. Yeah, that's I can't believe that this year you've had Doctor Strange, and then you're going to roll into Thor, and then you're going to roll into a new Black Panther in one year. It seems like a little bit bonkers. They have a lot of projects right now. Yeah, yeah. I did. Um, I, I don't know if uh, if they've released a trailer yet, but I did see stills of um, Christian Bale in in Thor, and it looks crazy. Mm -hmm. He looks looks yeah. great yeah. in the trailer. Um, so I, that kind of makes me want to see it a little bit more. And I mean, although I, I don't see a ton of Marvel movies or I don't like go to see them, um, that much, uh, out of all of them, Thor was always my favorite of, of that entire kind of phase because I just thought it was a great comedy. So, mm -hmm. um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to this next one. That's, so can we get that on record now? Are you going to go and watch Thor with us when it comes out? It comes out, out July yeah, 8th, yeah. Eric. Yeah, all right. All right. Uh, yeah, because I mean, what was the last the last Marvel movie we saw together was The I, Eternals, wasn't it? it? It had to be The Eternals. I haven't seen Spider-Man. I haven't seen Doctor Strange. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, you know, you know. No judgments here. I, get, I guess DC's doing Chris it for like, me right now. I don't know. I don't know. 
Chris is like, I will pack you in a car right now. We will go. <laughs> um, so for me, I I would say my number one, oof, it's kind of a tie up right now. So my number one probably is a little, little known filmmaker called Jordan Peele, who has a, a movie that I've never seen a trailer for called Nope. I haven't seen the trailer like 45 times at this point. So far, so, um, you ha- still you, definitely are, my, you, are you being serious or no? I th- no. Uh, <laughs> I definitely number one, I think, and it's also Zach's birthday, so it's very special to me. So <laughs> it's going to be a, a truly blessed day. And then I would say uh, Watcher, obviously, I think looks super fucking cool. And then there's another movie that's going around, and I, I, I've avoided watching the trailer. I don't know if you guys know about this movie. It's just coming out, and I think it's going to get a limited run, and I think Amazon's picking it up and putting it out, and it's called Emergency. Have you guys heard of this movie? No. I've, so I think I've seen the poster for it, but I haven't watched the trailer or anything. So here's the premise. Check this out. So two guys are at college and they're just like your typical college guys and they decide one night that they're going to do this thing where they go around all of the different fraternity and sorority houses and do like a bar crawl, like a like a party crawl, you know what I mean, around campus. Okay, so it's like, it's set up like a raucous teen comedy kind of thing. You're Not teen, but you know, like college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens is uh, when the guys get back to their dorm room, they find out that there is a girl passed out in their room. Now, the thing about the movie is these are two black guys and it's a white girl who's passed out in the room. One of them turns around and he goes, I want to call the police. And oh. the other guy's like, I don't want to call the cops. And that's the premise for the movie. Um, and it's what they do to get out of the situation if they get out of the situation that they're in. Um, so it's very much like a get out style spin on what, what would be your, your typical uh, frat comedy, but uh, told through the, the that angle, which I think is like really interesting. And, it, and apparently it's like superb, like early word on the movie is that it's like super, super good. So that one's kind of like starting to shoot up in my expectation a lot. That sounds really good. Yeah, totally. Like great idea, I think. Um, but yeah, so that pretty much wraps that section of the show up. Um, let's have a look. I suppose we can just kind of get into men, unless there's any other topics, anything in the news, anything you guys want to talk about before Hitman? Uh, you mentioned Top Gun. You know what I read yesterday? Do you know that movie was mainly all filmed in 2018? So that's like four years ago. Yeah. That's a trip, dude. Yeah. I was listening to an interview with the director. You know who directed that movie? It's the guy who directed Oblivion with Tom Cruise. I don't know if you guys see Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. He's a good director. I think his name is Joseph Kaczynski. Um, he's pretty interesting. And he shot the movie. So, like, I know it's in good hands if he did it. But not only that, um, they did some, like, really crazy shit, I guess, with, like, the cameras that they use. They use these, like, special IMAX cameras. And so they almost have, like, a 3D, like, a like a full field of view cockpit view for the camera when they're all for the, all of the aerial combat scenes and apparently there's certain theaters i didn't know these theaters existed but you know how you get like 4dx theaters where like the seats rumble and like fucking oh, blow yeah, smoke yeah, in your yeah. face and stuff like that mm-hmm. they also have these theaters where they're like imax screens but the the screen projects to the side of the cinema oh, either tight. side so apparently you can see there's only a handful of screens in america that do it but you could see the movie with the full cockpit view when you're in the cockpit and apparently it's like fucking crazy it's like super <laughs> cool um I don't Is know if I, gonna go and... I don't know if I want that that much immersion in, in <laughs> with my Tom middle. Cruise's face in your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
I mean, I can't imagine going to seeing this after like working all day and then I sit down in a comfy chair and then I'm like in a cockpit in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, right. so, that sounds awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> danger zone, danger zone. The Regal and Hollywood 27 has it. Oh, they do? They have Screen X, yeah. And then I saw Fast and Furious 9 in the 4DX and that was insane. Oh, so they have Screen X? So they have that side projection mm-hmm, screen? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Um, oh, I'm going to go and check it out then. I would definitely go see Top Gun. I've never seen the first one, but I would go see well, Chris, it for that experience. Um, I don't. I, I'm guessing. I don't know if Eric would you like to see Top Gun. Uh, that was my question. I'm kind of <laughs> interested on people like how hot or warm people are. Hey, if you go, I'm down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I might <laughs> see it just for nostalgia reasons. Yeah. I guess it it would it would be silly. I mean, because the first one was so over the top and i even realized it was kind of silly back then um because just just because of kind of the nature of of the type of movie that it was but i it would be fun i i, I think it would be fun i maybe seeing it in that uh in that style of theater too would be something different as well i i don't know i mean wh- where is that at hollywood 27 um, it's right off of 65 if you're going 100 oaks towards nashville from franklin 100 oaks huh huh yeah yeah it's kind of like in between where i live and where like our normal theater is it's kind of like in the middle of that area i've been before but like yeah let's we'll pencil that in we'll make rough plans to see because like i hear it's actually really good but like i don't know i like cheesy action movies too so like i love the original (laughs) i love the original i'm interested but i'm not committed (laughs) yeah so we'll see yeah lukewarm lukewarm um okay so let's talk about alex garland's 2022 movie men that just came out um which is just going to be quite a divisive uh, movie to talk about um i've kind of stayed away from critical analysis of this movie on purpose um other than when the movie first came out or before the movie came out early reviews started to leak and then you see all of obviously the superlatives of five out of five like all the usual stuff that obviously a24's publishers are going to be like promoting the hell out of the movie so and again this is interesting this, this is another a24 movie which i feel like in 2022 you're either talking about a marvel movie or you're talking about an a24 movie like it's it's starting to become like this behemoth a24 you know what i mean and i know the northman wasn't a24 but it might as well be do you think there's um a possibility of fatigue setting in for this um i don't know or 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 are they reaching their stride you know are they starting to get you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's time for indie films and films of more sub- substance and "quote unquote" avant-garde to be able to have the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's what's happening. At least I, hope I think. It is. Yeah, I think the pandemic has helped that a lot with the budget movies that had to get slashed, or you know, smaller movies were already able to be able to film quickly rather than have to have a huge cast and crew to put together together a movie these last couple of years. So. I think the pandemic has helped the smaller uh, companies uh, release more movies than usual. That's a good point, because if you think about um, some of the past A24 releases, Men is definitely, admittedly, straight up a COVID movie. Um, totally filmed during lockdown. Um, X was, I believe, too. Uh, but they, they filmed X in like New Zealand, but that was under lockdown, I believe, too. So... A lot, yeah, it's it's a recurring theme, and um, I don't know. I think it's a good question, though, Eric. 
Yeah, you have bodies, bodies, bodies coming up. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. looks like it's just filmed in a house the entire time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say, yes, Eric, if we were reaching fatigue, if the product that they started to put out dipped, in a, and for me, it hasn't dipped okay. in quality. Like, I think obviously, like, there's a tier list to A24 movies, and I would put like, I don't know, perhaps like a hereditary in like top, top tier in like a midsummer. And then like, I think there's like definitely a tier. I don't think all of them are like um, solid gold. I mean, I think, um, what was that movie about the strippers that we watched? The um, Zola? Uh-huh. I wouldn't yeah. say Zola is like one of my favorite movies, but it's it's good. As far as I'm concerned with A24, like as long as the product that they're putting out is still like interesting and unique, um, yeah, I'm totally cool. I don't think I've hit fatigue with it at all. Hmm. I think uh, we might get to that point, though. Oh, I, I mean, maybe. I mean, like, uh, if you're going back into the 90s, you have, you know, Miramax's runs where they were just running the show pretty much. So, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting to uh, to kind of see where they, where they end up, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think it would be a thing if, if they had, like, a specific style of movie. Because if you think about it, with Neon, who's like, I would say, A24's big competitor, mm-hmm. like the movies they put out over the past few years, like Titan, um, they're putting out Crimes of the Future, um, a bunch of different movies. All of those movies, to me, you could put out an A24, and I'd be like, oh, it's an A24 movie. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, w- I don't really see if, uh, like, the Spencer movie, I think, was Neon 2. I could see that being an A24 movie. So, yeah, as long as they're not having like a, a specific, it's not like Marvel way. Like that is blatantly a Marvel movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think it could be like what you just said? You know, people like me who are starting to see A twenty four, and you know, other film companies that make kind of movies that could be A twenty four, are people like me kind of thinking, oh, these are all A twenty four movies. So I think you know Eric's uh, point to maybe getting burned out. I think if the general public just you know kind of assumes that this style of movie is maybe all done by the same production company just because in the co- commercials and trailers, you, all you see, you see a lot of A24s. So, I mean, I could see maybe people that aren't as familiar with the uh, companies and production companies and stuff like that, how they may think that all, like, anything that's independent looking is going to be an A24. Oh, yeah. it's. I think, like, the marketing is very, very clever. Mm-hmm. So much so that if you go on their website, they even they even sell clothing in the same kind of style drops that Supreme does. So mm-hmm. like you, you'll, they'll sell like, I don't know, like a hereditary t-shirt and then like two weeks later, it's $300 on eBay being real sold. <laughs> so it's all very, very clever marketing. I think in there, like very like, it, it's kind of, it's like hype beast. It's like hype beast stuff for movies, A24. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because it's like the, I mean, I don't know the history of the company at all. So, I mean, this is kind of a layman's, you know, view of it, um, it really kind of seems like they almost took a play, like a page out of the playbook of Pixar, which is, you know, a Pixar movie right when you see it. And when they pop that logo on the screen, you're like, you're automatically hyped because you, maybe Mm -hmm. you've had a relationship or something with Pixar. So you have an expectation of it too. So, that's the same thing with A24. They pop that that logo on the screen and you're like, all right, I'm in sort of deal. So um, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 kind of interesting. 
Yeah. I used to get that when I was a kid and like Canon logos would come on. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, mm-hmm. this is going to be dope. It's going to be like really trashy and awesome. <laughs> um, and then what was the other one? The um, the martial arts one, the Golden Golden Harvest. Is it Golden Harvest? Um, that logo, I think, was... I, I That was another one I'd get hyped if that looked came on when I rented a movie from the video store. You know what I mean? I got like super into that too. Like the, there um, was one where it was like, like the, oh, I forget what it was. It was like the unicorn. It was like a unicorn coming out. Yes. And, uh-huh. and I don't remember what that, what that company was off the top of my head, but it was like, they would always release these like great action type movies. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, any time that I that I saw that, I was like, all right, I'm I'm in for a, a good one here. So, I, oh, I wish I I, re, I could remember what it was. Is it TriStar? The TriStar. TriStar. Yeah, oh, TriStar. yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. Looking it up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing too. That's it here. Um, I don't know if I'll. Uh, oh no, it's not gonna. But yeah, TriStar, Eric. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny though because it's like. The, like the brand association you get with things it's really fun um mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a24 is very smart about it i mean even if you've like i follow a24 on instagram uh of course i do but like um it's funny they'll occasionally do these things where people if they're anywhere in like their parking space is a24 they take a picture of it and post on instagram and tag them <laughs> and then they, re- they retag it and like so it's like it's really funny so like uh, when the men was coming out on the run-up to men people were like um going into like bathroom stalls and taking pictures of the the men sign for the bathroom and then oh. tagging A24 and then A24 would like retweet it or whatever. It's pretty fun. Um, okay, so let's get into men or at least we'll start talking about men because I think we have to talk about Alex Garland if we're going to talk about the movie Men because I think we're obviously on this podcast we're super into directors as you know and like we talk about directors a lot. In Alex Garland for me, I would probably put Alex Garland in... If I had a tier list of directors who I like, Alex Garland would be in the top three probably at this point in my mm-hmm. life um in terms of people if i say his name i'm going to watch anything alex Garland does like anything um just because of the quality of the stuff that he's put out now what's interesting about uh, alex Garland is he's not only a filmmaker he's also a writer um and he's wrote a lot of stuff he's wrote like video games uh novels books uh screenplays for different movies like he wrote the screenplay for uh never let me go um he wrote the screenplay for mm-hmm. dread the uh reimagining of the judge dread which is a pretty good movie actually yeah um and so on and so forth but um i'm gonna throw it over to you guys so i'm not just talking all the time um anybody a- anybody else on the hype scale with garland like i am i think eric is but anybody else yeah i love alex garland if i see him his name attached to anything i'm gonna watch it have any of you guys i know you have eric has anybody seen devs his tv show on fx i have not not yet it, it- is fucking sublime yeah um for real i'd probably it's, say it's, it's kind of perfect work. yeah it's it's kind of yeah. perfect in the same way that atlanta is perfect it's it's a show that doesn't it doesn't make sense how it is on television sort of thing yeah exactly yeah yeah i think it's superb um oh interesting he was story supervisor on dmc the devil may cry reboot I don't oh, know if you guys are that's video strange games. Yeah, I know. Uh, co-writer on Enslaved, Odyssey to the West 2, which is basically like the um, the um, the classic Journey to the West uh, thing that they made in a video game. I don't know if you guys remember that either. Actually, no. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I no idea. So um, let's have a look. So um, he was writer for best screen, or like first screenplay rather, for 28 Days Later, Never Let Me Go. Um, a t- yeah, he's... 
he's been around. He's done a lot of cool stuff. Um, it, but his movies, so filmography. So he was also a writer on Sunshine. He was uh, dread like this. Sunshine. yeah, Sunshine, super good. Um, he was um, he wrote the Beach, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, which came out in, like the year two thousand, um, mm-hmm. which was I think a um, Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle joined, yep. Um, 28 Days Later, Danny, Danny Boyle too. Um, a movie called The Tesseract was based on one of his books, but I'm not sure what that is. Mm-mm. It sounds really familiar to me though. Um, I'm going to look it up right now as we talk. Um, no, I've, it stars um, Jonathan Riss Myers. It's like, a, no, it looks terrible. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. We'll he had his day in the sun a long time. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, yeah, he did. Could you, do you remember him? Yeah. yeah. He kind of disappeared. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always remember him in uh, Ride with the Devil, the Ang Lee movie, where he has oh, like yeah. really long hair, and he's like tall asshole in that movie. He's good. Oh in that movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like one of the like Confederate soldiers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's he's pretty cool. Um, so of his movies that he wrote and directed, he's working on a movie right now called Civil War, which is filming, which is filming in Atlanta, um, and I'm very interested to. But I'm gonna. Not, I'm not even gonna look it up. I'm just gonna like let that one sit until we hear about it when it comes out. Um, written and directed, Ex Machina, Annihilation, Men. So that's his three. 2014, 2018, 2022. So everything four years apart. Um, I th- I take it we've all seen. Have, has everybody seen Annihilation and Ex Machina? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Oh yeah. 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 Really, really good. Really good. But for me, like, I, I keep going back to it. For me, with Garland, like, it's Devs. I just really, I think Devs is, like, very, very special. Um, other than that, though, yeah, I think he's he's had a kind of a, in, in terms of a director, kind of a flawless record, three movies in, really. Um, we'll get into Men and Our Thoughts on it, but it's definitely not a, it's not a failure at all. Um, it's probably very divisive. I think it's more divisive than his other movies. Um, but I think it's also a little bit more... Um, it's the first time he's done like like horror horror, at least what he's in in the movies that he's made as a director. So he's he's came from doing two very hard I would call like hard sci fi movies, specifically Annihilation, which is based on a book. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of the book, but the book is like um, almost unreadable. It's like a trilogy of books, and it's like super super heavy, super dense. Oh, so Annihilation. Yeah, it's yeah. like a trilogy. I, I read the first one and about half of the second one, and I just didn't I didn't finish it. But um, I'm going to get back into it. I, I was thinking about reading it, but I, I don't know. I heard it was pretty difficult. But then again, I'm pretty stupid. so uh, I'll probably do it on audio, to be honest. You know, that's if, if I can't find the time to read, I'll just I'll throw it on audio. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so that's what we know about Alex Garland. Um, safe to say, great, great track record. Um, very interesting filmmaker. Very interesting voice. Seems like a very smart guy. Interesting in big, big, big themes, big topics. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially like Ex Machina, the whole um, AI, artificial intelligence, um, huge themes uh, that he tend, kind of touches with. Um, so yeah, so going into this, I mean, it's safe to say I was super hyped. I know Eric was hyped. Um, oh yeah. Zach, I know you were hyped. You were like yep. avoiding trailers. Uh, ah, avoiding trailers. trailers. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'll tell you what we'll do then, because we're in the first part of the show, I think the meat of this show is going to be when, we talk, when we're talking about spoilers, because I think there's just too much going on for us not to really, that's going to be the meat and potatoes of the show. So I'm going to go around again, round robin, 
initial thoughts um, and initial feelings, spoiler-free, on the movie. So over to you, Chris. Um, I love the film. Uh, it made me feel a very specific way at the very end and about halfway through towards the end that I, I'll get into in the spoiler section aspect, but I just I haven't felt that way from a movie before, and I really need to revisit it because there's a lot I feel like I didn't pick up on. And like you said, I think it's going to be very divisive. It's just, it's I've never seen anything like it before. And you saw that. Did you see that by yourself? I saw it with, uh, with Sam Page. We saw it in the Dolby. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay, you caught it in Dolby. Yeah. That's cool. Um, okay, Eric, over to you. Um, I was really... Uh, it was. It was. Ve- I was very anticipated, kind of in the same way that the Northman was. Um, just, just because I love. I was just coming off of finishing Devs, you know, not too long ago, um, and Ex Machina is probably, I would say, definitely somewhere in my, you know, top twenty or you know whatever. Definitely top five sci-fi movies. Um, that's that's a pretty much a perfect movie right there, uh, but on on men I I was expecting one thing and uh, I kind of it gave me another which I'm I'm fine with. Um, I had an idea of what it was go, going into or what I thought was an idea uh, going into it, and it really kind of condensed down that idea. Um, it's smart. It's smart of uh, Zach not to watch the, the the trailer for it because it kind of it really kind of gave away uh, a lot of what the movie was going to tackle and then a little bit of the twist too with the with the male character. So um, I am. I'm not going to say it was like one of my favorite movies of the year. I I liked probably about the first half of it a lot more than I'd like the last half of it. And when we get into spoilers, I'll, I'll kind of go in a little bit more on that. I like the movie overall, but, uh, I, I appreciated the tone and, um, like the use of color and the, the cinematography was incredible, how they use sound, uh, everything like that. It really kind of reminded me of when, we went to go see uh, the Green Knight. You know, I had an idea of maybe what that movie was going to be going into it, and it turned out to be something completely different. And and it took me on that kind of that same journey, that same ride. And I haven't returned to it. And I really want to rewatch uh, the Green Knight. But I had the same experience that I that I had uh, with Men, where it was. Where in my mind I was expecting this kind of psychological, um, almost science fictiony horror thing that was going to happen, and there's there's a bit of that in there, but uh, but like the the subtext of the whole movie and what it was kind of really about, you know, like a meditation on grief and responsibility and and all that. Um, it was a it was a heavier thinker than I was ready for. So um, when we get into spoilers, I'll I'll, I'll get into more of that. Um, what I what I kind of didn't care for, um, but overall, I would say I would hope that people would go and see it. Uh, 
just because it's not like anything that that they're going to see in in the theaters for a while in the same way that uh most people probably aren't gonna aren't gonna expect from the green knight and didn't expect from say titane it was like movies like this are going to hit you in a certain way and you're not going to be able to see it coming so uh that's kind of where i put this one awesome zach yeah, so I didn't see a trailer or anything. I did see probably second. I saw the tunnel part, you know, and then I was just like averted gaze. But yeah, the first half of the movie I loved just because of the pace. Because I knew something, it was going to pick up and there was going to be more of a, I guess, a horror, thriller, suspense aspect coming towards it. But I like the quietness and I like... I didn't have a problem. I know it's going to be divisive, I guess, but I feel like this is a movie that is done well enough in a certain way that guys could appreciate the aspect of the female, how they see, you know, their world compared to men. Uh, it's got, like Eric said, it's got a lot of thinking parts, too, a lot of metaphors and stuff like that. But I really enjoy the message. And the storyline, you know, with her and her husband, you know, I I have family that you know, I can relate to that and that kind of grief and stuff. So that hit home really hard. So that was just really well done on how they went through the movie and ex- showed her how she expressed different emotions when thinking back to different situations she was in. So, yeah, that was kind of my first reaction the first time I watched it. And second time around was a little bit different, but yeah, uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Okay, yeah, um, I'm pretty torn on the movie. I've seen it uh, three times now. Again, probably too many times. I'd say second time around <laughs> is the sweet spot for this movie. I think it's like the total sweet spot. I think second time you see this movie, it's um, you you experience it first time around, and then when you come to your senses a little bit, then you can watch it like with a more analytical view second time around because you're less um awestruck by what's happening because obviously when, when we get in the spoils we talk about the end of the movie it's it's a thing um so when you when you don't have that like sensory bombardment when you're like allowed to like sit with it a bit better and look at look at it it's like i think it, it opens up and it, and it plays in a more interesting way i just i think i'm a little torn up for the, on the movie um because i think it's in parts i think it's like wonderful i think the opening the opening, I would say, like two, like the opening third of the movie, specifically when um the main character um she's exploring the wilderness and she's exploring the countryside. The movie has like a very like um like tranquil, almost like dreamlike state that the movie's in, and I think it's like it's really, really like uh it's really like transportive. It, it's it's um it's kind of washes over you and it's like you get very like it puts you in a trance almost. The movie, which I think is really effective at doing, um I think. What's interesting about the movie is, is I think he's chose to tell a specific story through the medium of horror, but it's not a horror movie. And I think every time the it the horror aspects keep getting in the way of the movie. So like when it does flip to being a horror movie, I'm not sure how successful as a horror movie it is in terms of like, it's horror is obviously very formulaic and I'm not saying that in a bad way but like the specific beats to horror that I like movies need to hit so not to like 
the best example I can think of, and I keep talking about this movie, but is Hereditary. Hereditary, like obviously there's a modern wave of horror movies that is um, horror as a metaphor. And it's not just a modern thing. Horror has been used as a metaphor for like everything from like the Vietnam War in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And like, you know what I mean? A ton of stuff. They've used like, mm-hmm. like trauma is like, like the, the keystone for like successful horror movies. Um, which is is all fine and well. And I think like right now it's very much like in vogue even more than it ever has been. And I think, but with a movie like Hereditary, when it, when it, when it plays its horror, it's like world-class at its horror. It's like, it's scary as shit. You know what I mean? So like, it, it re, it's really, a, and like he, Ari Aster, I think almost went on record, I think he's on record saying that, is that he just chose horror as a way to get the movie made. It's not really a horror movie, mm-hmm. but it just so happens that he made a really good horror movie. I don't think Garland's made a really good horror movie. I think he's made a really interesting movie that is hampered by its horror tropes because I don't think he's successful in pulling them off. And I and I and it gets in the way of what I think is something that's really interesting. Um, when it has to obey those like genre uh, tropes, like getting chased through a house, doors slamming, somebody outside the window. It, sometimes it's effective, and other times it's like he backs off from it and he doesn't actually like go through with it. So like there's the the movie is not scary at all. I don't think the movie's scary at all. I think the movie is very very interesting and very visually it could be visually upsetting to people who are like maybe have a, a, a but at the same time when it the movie does go to its full like body horror extremes because of the tone of the movie it's not as affecting as it would be if it was handled a little bit differently so like when the when we do get to the climax and like these horrible events are unfolding on screen rather than being repulsed they're almost like they're almost like dulled in a way that I can't tell if that's on purpose. And I can't, like, in other words, I didn't have my hands over my eyes at one point during the movie. Now I'm not mm. saying that I need to, but I kind of feel like for it to be a horror movie, then I need to, you know what I mean? So I don't know. That's might just be me. I think that might be my like weird thing about it. Um, and I think f- other when we get into spoilers again, we'll talk about this more, but I think the movie and its messaging is v- so I guess Garland's on record as saying that he, he does not want to explain the themes of the movie. He has no interest in saying, like, this is what the movie's about. There's one very, very clear reading of what this movie is about, hence the title, Men. I mean, the men, the title alone is just like, you know what I mean? And then there's a, I think there's an initial reading that you can take from the movie that is very, very cut and dry. And I, my worry is, is if that's the reading of the movie, it's not as interesting as it would be if, if that was subverted somehow and I don't think he's subverting it I can't tell is what I'm saying I can't Mm. tell if he is or he isn't if he is and there's more to the initial reading of the movie then I think it's super super interesting I'm just worried that there isn't more to the initial reading of the movie and then we'll get into that when we talk spoilers so this is a good halfway point we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to get into spoilers and uh, we'll give you a plot synopsis too before we start so you can kind of like at least kind of map out where we are in the movie as we're talking about it so we'll be right back after the break thank you episode on Alex Garland's 2022 movie Men, uh, currently streaming, not streaming, currently in theatres, rather. 
<laughs> which you could go and see. So I'm going to give a kind of a brief plot rundown before we start talking about the movie, just because I feel like sometimes we just jump into it. And like, I think if you're listening, you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm gonna, like, if you were a listener, you're going to be like, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen through spoilers, but I think sometimes we're like so vague on what we're talking about. So the brief plot synopsis of the movie is the movie start, uh, centered around a woman who I'd say, I guess is in her like mid thirties, guessing around that age um she um we come to find out that she had a severely traumatic experience with her husband um she went to break up with her husband her husband um refused to end the marriage um took the separation extremely difficult threatened to kill himself and then either did or did not kill himself and she witnessed the whole thing um it was it seems to be what kind of culminated in a very toxic situation so um after that event happens she um is obviously on the mend um as much as you can be from something like that um then she takes a i guess a retreat it looks like an airbnb almost so she rents this stately home in england in the countryside she lives in london it's about four minute drive a four hour drive from london so it's right on the sticks so she goes out it's a very small sleepy english countryside village um and she rents this i think it's only for the weekend i think she's only staying like three nights in this house um now what happens is once she arrives in the village she starts to make herself comfortable in this home she's by herself she's in constant communication with her friend um who is the with one exception the only other female character that we see in the movie and we see her their conversations via skype and she shows around the house she's talking about what she's going to do she's going to chill out she is doing some work while she's in there she she's working remotely too so we know that she's obviously a professional businesswoman of some variety um it's not really explained what she does um and what happens and unfolds throughout the course of the movie is every interaction that she starts to have with this men of the specific village um gets more and more sinister as it goes on and what becomes apparent especially if you're aware of the actor um that all of these men are being played by the same actor um so we have all these different archetypes of men who she encounters in the village and they all treat her pretty terribly on a sliding scale between like slightly menacing to like full-on like aggressively uh trying to attack her throughout the course of the movie and the movie ultimately come culminates in like a it's like some kind of freudian nightmare uh scenario where you're not entirely sure if what's happening is real but it definitely um resolves the movie and in what happens is i guess is the movie in a way is trying to resolve other on first impression her trauma and her grief regarding the loss of her husband and um all of these events unfold until she eventually confronts her husband in like kind of like a dreamlike state uh in the hope of getting some resolve from him but it doesn't he just she doesn't really get any kind of like closure from him at the end um and then that's pretty much the rough outline of the movie as we get on we talk about we'll talk about events that happen but really plot wise there's not a lot it, it takes place in a small village the cast obviously is there's only two male actors in the whole movie um there's her husband and then the other guy i think his name is rory kinnear the actor who plays all of the other characters of the men um and then there is three women in the movie there's the main actress there's her friend and then we we do encounter another woman character who's a police officer briefly albeit briefly yeah. so a cast of a in total five people for the movie um now obviously there's face swap technology and we know that one scene one of the men is actually a boy and we have the face swap going on with the boy but other than his performance like you know it's not really 
his performance. Um, other than that, that's pretty much about it. So pretty bare bones in terms of its um, setup, bare bones in terms in terms of its like location and setting. Obviously, like I said, this is a COVID movie, and you could tell based around the restrictions. But I think because of the restrictions, he was forced to do something pretty interesting with the movie. So uh, we'll start from the beginning. Um, does anybody have anything that like that they wanted to talk about thematically? Anything that was like, I know Chris, you said that like there was a there was a something during the middle, I think, and towards the end where you said had, like, a, a profound effect on you? Yeah. <clears throat> so, I thought it was interesting, kind of, when you said you weren't scared of this movie or didn't have the moments where you covered your eyes. I covered my eyes during one part with the uh, the knife going through the arm. But I think yep. it's just because it's really grotesque. I usually don't get really squeamish about that, but I think the most frightening aspect was just the different archetypes of men. And so, about halfway through the movie, I felt a sense of being powerful. And it was because, I think it was just because she kept encountering all these different men. These men just kept gaslighting her and saying all these things. And I think it was just really personification of different aspects of what's considered toxic masculinity in my opinion. Um, and I found that to be really just disorienting and I felt very strange. And I think I felt the way that some men try to make women feel. Hmm. That's, I'm really pleased you said that. Because, like, no matter what she did, nobody would believe her. She couldn't get away. Um, and she just kept trying to figure out how to, what, what, the hell, what the hell was going on. But also while dealing with all this trauma and this grief. So that's, I, for me, that's kind of where I, I am with that. So when you said that, Chris, do you mean that, like, I don't know if that's what you're hinting at. Do you, do you think that, like, you saw yourself in some of those men in, in terms of past behavior as a man? I mean, I've definitely done shitty things as a man, and I try to be a different man now and try to be... Mm -hmm. I, I work with a lot of... Um, I'm a therapist, in case it doesn't ever come up in every conversation on this <laughs> podcast, but I work with a lot of teen girls, and I try to be a really positive um, male... I try to bring positive male energy because there's a lot of shitty men and a lot of shitty people out in the world, but um, I don't didn't see myself in them. I just felt like her. Interesting. Hmm. It's interesting because they're they're trying to. Uh, it's it's an interesting play, and this is what I liked about the the first half about the first half of the movie is that there is, and, and most of us have heard it before the 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 gaze, you know, like the the female gaze, um, mm -hmm. and to me it it kind of upends it in a way where you're expecting that gaze and it's it's turned around almost uh to everybody else um and not only are you playing with the those kind of archetypes mm -hmm. uh i i found it like super interesting that like the most aggressive um situations that she was in were with people of authority or perceived authority within that within those situations so you have you have the priest which is like the religious authority or you have the police which is like mm -hmm. the law authority and those interactions are always through this are super aggressive like super negative the entire time um, where you have the original innkeeper who's just this kind of like this judgmental entity or you have the little kid who's like the like an impish 
like that doesn't understand, you know, how rude or cruel that he is. Um, and it, it, it was, it is, it's just super, super interesting in that way. And that how he kind of plays with that kind of gaze theory. I thought, um, it's not that, it's not that we're watching her, it's that she's watching everyone else, you know? Um, so once we get past that and you start, it starts to kind of get into the body horror aspect of it. That's where it lost me. Um, one, and not because I'm squeamish at all, but one, it's just not a, a lane that I really enjoy. You know, I, I won't, I won't go to a movie to see a body horror movie. Cause I just don't, it's just a personal taste of mine. I don't enjoy that type of movie or that type of horror. I don't have a problem with it. Like normally, um, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, normally when they get into like, uh, the birthing sections in, in movies, I'm like, Oh, okay. I, this, this is, I, you got to give me a warning before you do stuff like this <laughs> sort of thing. But I, I, I wasn't, I didn't turn away from it. I just, I, to be honest, I leaned into it. I was like, all right, if this is where we're going, this is where we're going. And I'm going to be there with, uh, you know, my eyes wide open and let, let's see what happens sort of deal. And a lot happened. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I, I think that in general, I, that type of horror like turns me off because it's like, I, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. Um, and not that I think there's, a, that there's anything wrong with it. It's just not something that, that is, is appealing to me. So uh, by the end of it, it lost me. I was way more interested with like the, the psychological metaphors that were happening with the characters and um, all the the personality interplay that was happening and how you had to read into certain things and you have to know a little bit about um, the mythology of the green man because that's thrown in there too or just have a general idea of what that is um because i think that's going to throw a lot of people off like what is this all about you know and and kind of the idea behind that character so so it's a it's a positive i'm going to say it's a it's positive i'm positive on the movie but if you're not into that very strong body horror that happens towards the end of it, I think it's it's going to separate the audience at that point, very much so. Yeah, so first time I saw it, I would, I guess I would agree with Chris on the feeling it kind of gives you at first while you're watching it about each type of architect of men. But having watched it a second time, my viewpoint changed because I started looking at it as Harper, the main character. I started looking at it as like a mother nature type of thing. You know, when she's walking in the woods at the beginning, you know, she starts smiling as she's looking up and she goes underneath the trees. And I started getting this feeling that like, this is going to be about like a mother nature woman kind of uh, feeling. And the second time I watched it, I started feeling Every time she came across a different style of men, I had the feeling of, hey, I'm not going to be that guy. Hey, I'm not going to be that guy. It started giving me kind of not a motivation, but like a visual perspective on how not to be and how not to treat women. 
uh, in a situation like that where it's a scary situation involving somebody who's stalking her, somebody who's has lust for her, someone like the little kid who is just has no filter and doesn't realize the things that he says to a female uh, can affect. So I started really pulling for her every time she got over a certain obstacle, a certain man. I feel like she got one more step to closure and type of healing. And so with the end, with the birthing scene, I felt like in the whole body horror, I felt like that was just like a culmination of her. Because she points out early in the film when she's talking to her friend how, you know, this is going to keep happening and it's happened to her all life. So I feel like every certain new uh, body horror birth thing was just each aspect of people she's met throughout her whole life. And I feel like I got a very positive ending to the movie because I feel like she got her healing. Maybe not the closure that people think of closure with her husband and what happens when he's on the sofa and stuff, but I feel like she got an answer. She yeah. got an answer that most people don't get. It's it's Even if it's like some weird, is it real? Is she imagining this? But she got an answer and her husband was, that's just the way he was. He was one of those guys that basically put her in a position where like, hey, I'm going to kill myself if you don't stay with me. And I just thought that gave her a nice kind of ending to that whole situation. But I felt like the second time around, I picked up more on a female aspect of it because it does make a lot of what I think of references to the womb, like the tunnel. I feel like when mm -hmm. she's walking at the tunnel, she walks towards it. In my head, I'm feeling that's like the the light at the end of the tunnel. She's got to mm -hmm. go through this whole dark tunnel and, you know, she's beginning to walk through it and she's having fun. She feels like, oh, this is going to be all right. I can sit there and sing to the tunnel and stuff. And then that next part happens and she's got to run. She's got to not be the strong one. She's got to, she's got to go back when she's trying to show herself and everybody else so that she doesn't need it. Like, a man or someone to help her along with stuff. So uh, definitely the second time around, I got a different vibe from it. That's that like, that's su yeah, that's super interesting now that you say that because um, yeah, you're thinking she's walking down the tunnel. She's, she's about to kind of cross that barrier. It's, it's going to be something new, a new kind of a part of her life. But that, that thing at the very end of the tunnel, that silhouette of like a black uh, shadowy man who's just standing there at the end, at the end of the tunnel. It's it can also be read as um, this is the world you're going to be birthed into sort of deal. You, this is what you're going to have to deal with. So that's, that's very, it's a very kind of interesting look at that, um, at that perspective. I, I really, I like that you brought that up. Yeah. I like what you said that too. That was really interesting. I'm going to rate on everybody's parade though a little bit. Because, <laughs> um, so I guess what I was, hinting at before was if you ever I, I don't know about you guys but I, I've been in a relationship with a woman who's threatened to kill herself if I was going to leave so I've what I and the reason I bring that up is what I was hoping this movie would do and what I don't think the movie either if I what I wanted the movie to be about was this conversation that we're having this this I want like I know it sounds like a really weird thing to say but I wanted what I wanted from the movie was to to be about our conversation of the movie as opposed to what the movie's actually trying to say. So the initial read immediately from the movie, and 
now I think the movie is ultimately about what it what we, what we think it is is and that's disappointing to me because I I I think the the nuance around uh gender not or not gender but like gender roles in relationship like uh not even gender like like roles in terms of like the male patriarchy um male dominance um and all of that stuff I I wanted something a little more nuanced in the conversation other than man bad man bad bad man like in in so we get the tropes of men so we get the we we see the young boy who is that like impish like eric said like the you know when boys tease girls when they're little in that like teasing nature and then when she doesn't want to play with him he can't understand why she isn't there for his amusement which is a, a standard take right the the priest who uh puts his hand on a leg and crosses that bar uh, so a position of a male pa- position in power breaching that line of comfort crossing over putting his hand on it where which was like super weird and very awkward um and then his uh, descent into like like almost like a sexual fury towards the end where he's like he's like um i bet you're really good at sex you look like the kind of person who's really good at sex therefore you look hot i think you're hot therefore you're you 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 are asking for it. You know what I mean? That typical guy guy thing, which is is a very uh, tropey thing too. And the reason I mentioned the relationship with her uh, husband at the beginning is what's more interesting in the conversation is I've experienced certain things that she experienced as a man. Hmm. Now, I don't get me wrong. I don't want to start this conversation. I am not coming from it from the Reddit incel 4chan view of this movie. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is what I kept thinking about, right? So I was thinking about this trial that's going on right now with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. And if if it's all led to be be believed, if Amber Heard is suffering from BPD, bipolar disorder, right? Which is a fascinating uh, thing. Um, And what I think is really interesting is there's no nuance in the conversation about that. There's no nuance in the conversation about if she is acting a certain way out of her disorder, then it's just, we're talking about her like she's crazy. When we talk about the relationship between a men and women, there's no nuance to that conversation. It's it's in the wake of Me Too, obviously, in the wake of Me Too, there has been a, a global outreach and conversation about men and women and men in power and in, in, in what women have to be subjected to awfully like in, in even right now with like the overturn of Roe versus Wade and the, and the the argument over the rights of a woman's body who can say what a woman can and can't do we could go all day about that but what we're not actually talking about is we're talking in broad strokes with this whole conversation and to me that's what's not that as interesting in that to me like I don't think any relationship is cut and dry. I don't think any relationship is one way or another. I think there's complexities to a relationship and do I think that if somebody so we see when he gets to a point, he's clearly in a, in a point of desperation where he's like, he's in what I think is really good writing is there's a section in the earlier when, when she's having that confrontation with him, he says, which I think is really so well written. He says, I wish I could just go back and, and I could deduct the man that I've become from the man that you wanted to be with and you'd be left with the man that you wanted to be with which I think is like really, really interesting writing. And it's talking, obviously it's talking about like how he's changed over time. And that mean, from what we're reading, it could be he became complacent. If he said in, said in like uh, negative, negative um, behavioral patterns, he kind of like stopped um, investing himself into her in the relationship and started taking her for granted. This is all supposed. We, we don't know anything about her at all. We don't, we don't know anything about her. She says, oh, I don't play piano. Then she plays piano. And she's very, very good at playing piano. I know mm. that much about it. I can guess that she has a professional job. 
in terms of who she is, I don't think she's very well fleshed out, if I'm being honest, in terms of a character, because she feels very much like she is dropped in and immediately the everything that's happened to her is is terrible but we're not really like i i don't really i'm not getting anything f- about her you know what i mean we don't no, really know about how she actually feels about the death but maybe you know that I mean? yeah maybe that's the point though you know because but that's what i'm saying yeah. is that the point though i don't i don't know because um because you're dealing with like cuz he throws in like this mythology angle that throws the film for a loop in a way and and that's and that's like are we expected to believe everything on screen you know or is this just her grief and trauma and everything kind of playing itself out in a certain way because I guess in the end, we don't even really know if um, all those scenes really take place or if this is just her in her process uh, the entire time. And it's just manifesting out into this world that we're that we're experiencing. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we don't we don't get a lot of information about her and it's like small it's small little snippets. But I think maybe that's the point where maybe we're not supposed to focus on her. Yeah, but in in that case, though, my my issue is, is that if we're not it, my issue is that if that's the case and then it's all broad strokes again, she's just like an atypical female form in Uh, in mm -hmm. thrown into peril, which it does her disservice because she's not a fully dimensional character in terms of like, we don't know what her relationship with him was like. Um, We see the ugly side of him immediately and then we can run with that and be like, that guy's a piece of shit. But it's like what I what I'm saying is I think what's interesting is the notion that because he did what he did, automatically writes him off as being a piece of shit. Now, yes, he hit it, so it's unacceptable. You know, like I'm not talking about what he actually did, but in terms of the 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 drawing of him as a person, this is a person who who for all we know made her laugh, was sweet to her, does have kindness, does have heart, does have soul, does have like there's more to people than the argument that of like like he was obviously coming unglued and he was like mm-hmm. very mentally and he, and he was in, in a way thrown, thrown like an Hail Mary in which his, his him reach out because he couldn't face the fact that you want to leave him. And like, but people do terrible things when they're in, in, in feeling like a fight or flight so, situation. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. I mean? So you, and, what, what you kind of wanted a little bit more of was that filled in backstory as far as. In a, in a as, way. So, yeah. Yeah. No, no, so like there's two things that stuck out in the movie to me mm-hmm. that I think are like red herrings or like which make the so like like I said, I can't tell what the movie's trying to say. And and like there's two things that happen. One, now we know that we don't see any other women who interact with any of the men other than her in this movie, right? Except for one. We yeah. see the police officer, a woman police officer. Now, because of that inclusion of her, that kind of to me throws a lot of it off track because we know that there's a woman who's interacting and living in this village with these other men. But we don't know anything about this woman either. We don't know what she sees. We don't know if she sees all the men as being the same guy mm-hmm. or if, if this is her trauma and her, her, what she's experienced at the hands through the, the callous behavior of her, her ex-husband is this tainted her view of all men. You know what I mean? 
or is this what we're reading all men as because we don't see what that woman sees which is frustrating because and I think if she's put in there on purpose to derail that that train of thought then I think it's really clever secondly going back to what Zach mentioned in the tunnel which I think is a very interesting scene so when she goes to the tunnel she's singing right and when she's singing, it's almost like uh, she's calling. It's like a call and response. So she's singing and the echo, the feedback of the thing is responding to her. So it's herself, but it's a response from herself, how, how her voice works. So her voice echoes and it responds to it as it goes on, right? So in a way, when she's singing, she's having a conversation with her own voice, right? Which is pretty interesting when you think about it. The figure that wakes up at the end of the tunnel, right? When we see that figure rise from the end of the tunnel, you know what we do see? initially which one of the male archetypes do you think that is i don't think it's any of them no because you know who it is it's her because she's dressed exactly yes, the same i saw so a suit the figure jacket, gets up yeah. it's exact she's dressed she has a long overcoat on in the same hair so my reading of that is the, the the figure that wakes up at the bottom of the tunnel is her it's not and because we know it's not the naked guy it's it's not like the proto man like the male female garden mm. of eden like proto man like whatever he represents i don't know it's a bit above and beyond my head but i'm pretty convinced that it's her she's having a conversation with herself she awakens something in her and then from there on in all of the interactions get progressively worse as they go on from that scene alone um and i think the inclusion of jeffrey is an interesting in interest, but so if we're talking about like male stereotypes, so you have like the lustful vicar, you have the the impish schoolboy, we have the the male policeman who's in a position of authority who treats it bad. Now, I don't know about you guys, but almost every interaction I've had with the police has been negative. Yeah, almost every single interaction oh, I've, I've had been, with the police I've had has been negative. <laughs> so now, maybe I'm have. not saying that that so like. I don't know if that's a uniquely female experience, but I know that it's it's a universal experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, now with the priest, that's another story. I've never had a priest put his hand on my leg. You know what I mean? I don't like that's a totally different thing. But the Jeffrey character is interesting too because Jeffrey, well, who would he be then? Is Jeffrey like the simp? Is Jeffrey like the um, white knight who's like, oh, can I get your bags for you? Oh, you don't have to pay for this drink. Can I do this for yeah. you? You know what I mean? The guy who's very submissive to her in in terms of like as men who do put women on pedestals and are like overly submissive to women. And then, but I, again, all of that to me is kind of boring because that's just brush strokes. That's not who people are. People aren't, people are three-dimensional. Relationships are three-dimensional. That's not as a whole, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I don't know that this movie is trying to play in those three dimensions, if you know what I mean. It should. <laughs> see i thought the uh, the tunnel scene i thought that tunnel scene was like uh a certain male character because i saw like a suit jacket and then you know, at the very end she's got the axe and she's covered in blood so it's like i always thought that it was a male character that would drive her to kill a man so like i had, i just had a weird feeling that it was just a, a male character that you know she runs from but you never get to see but ends up could have been the one that had all all the bloods out there and stuff like that. I was I was trying to find out myself who that uh, person in the tunnel was. I um, I wonder because I mean aside from your experience with your with your previous significant other Scott threatening to kill themselves, I wonder if the demographic for this movie is towards women, and maybe there's just like an aspect that we, if I can speak for all of us as men, don't necessarily fully grasp because. I've never, and I know that's super heavy handed. It's almost like a PSA. Woman, 
good woman archetype that doesn't really have a background or any anything fleshed out good man bad but i i thought that was really interesting to kind of portray it in that way but i truly wonder like like i wonder if we had a woman on this podcast what the different perspective would be yeah or if this movie was written by a woman oh that too yeah you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like in, in terms of like the deafness of the argument, it's like, it, I don't know. It just feels a little jargony to me. It feels a little catchphrasey, like, like, uh, like that element of it. And when I, to go back and I, I, we could go on that more longer. And I, I, like, I definitely don't want anybody listening to this to think, I just hoped, what I hoped was, is that the, the movie was about us talking about the movie that's what the movie's about it's about the i was hoping he was going to get people riled up and it was the rile up was going to be like oh yeah like oh and then we're going to have a bunch of men talking about how bad men are you know what i mean which i think is really interesting because that's a really interesting position to put ourselves in you know what i mean and it's an interesting conversation because right now it is mainly men talking about this movie yeah on this podcast Um, well that's another thing i was going to ask are people talking about it? Because I'm not hearing anything, but then again, I'm not diving into it uh, either. I don't know. I don't know if they are, but I think that's also like, I just think that like in, in a week that like there's a lot of bigger shit going on right now. Too, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. it feels a little dwarfed in terms of even in, if we take away like real world stuff that's happening right now, it's a little dwarfed by even pop culture events that are happening right now. Like the Obi-Wan series coming out, the Stranger Things coming out. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know the impact that this movie's actually having. Yeah, and it's and it's released to it's it's almost like a like a pre-summer release, you know. So Yeah, totally. Um I will ask, you know, cuz it doesn't say in the movie. Um and I know Scott you mentioned um that you've had somebody uh threaten to kill themselves. I've had a female lose a partner in my family to suicide and i feel like i want to know how long it was between him dying and her going to the countryside because i feel like she's taking it a lot better than the female and the like the female that i in my family that lost i mean my person my family was you know she was two years and she was still Mm. dealing with it hardcore so i don't know it makes it seem like she like her she was good to go you and just needed a little healing yeah you don't get a sense of time in the movie yeah at all you know yeah it just it, it really does flip um which i guess is part of kind of the disorientation of the movie as well i mean i can see like ptsd as well but well yeah mm. totally and, and and you think about it too like and again i think that's the fault of the movie because she, we like I don't know. I think I would like, and that ties into the horror aspect of the movie too. So when it gets in that, what you were saying that, so like the fact that we don't know that about her, we don't know what the time frame is. Like we never really get to see other than that one scene where she's crying in the church. And then that's, and, and apart from the time when the actual event occurs, we see her crying in the church, but then she's very silent because she's obviously not around other people. So there's like a whole like, element to her that's not really like fleshed out and I, and that ties into the horror aspect of the movie too for me because 
somebody, so I went to see this movie with Jason and I'm going to intersect Jason in this podcast, his thoughts on it. I'll cut him in in, in parts and I'll, I'll do that in post. But Jason had some pretty interesting thoughts on the movie and I wanted to tell you guys about it. So Jason, when he saw the movie, what he said was interesting. Jason self-admittedly is very squeamish about like blood and gore, like very, very squeamish. So much so that when he asked to go and see the movie with me, I gave him a warning beforehand and I was like, hey, just so you know, there's some shit in this that you might not be comfortable to sit through. And I'm just telling you that because I don't want you to go and spend the money and feel like you have to leave or to traumatize you, you know what I mean? Because movies can, you know what I mean, fuck you up a little bit if, if you're not in the right headspace. Um, anyway, he sat through and he sat through the whole thing. And what he said was really interesting uh, in terms of like the the conclusion of the birthing sequence and how gory and visceral it was. And this ties into what Eric said, which I thought was really interesting. What you said is that when that happened is somebody who doesn't feel particularly comfortable with those kinds of experiences or those kind of depictions on screen you leaned into it right mm-hmm. i leaned into it i totally leaned into it i didn't look away once i didn't flinch i mm-hmm. leaned into that section and i was fully into what was going on right mm-hmm. Jason was too. For somebody who's super squeamish, Jason was like, and Jason said he thought it was because of her reaction to everything that was happening was so stoic and so like dis- disfranchised almost. Yeah. By the time when we get to these scenes, she seems like she's almost catatonic, in which case as a viewer, then we feel more not more comfortable, but we don't feel as shocked because she's not acting for us on screen. So yeah. she's like, oh my God, what the fuck, what the fuck? And I think that's a really interesting point. And I think that could tie into, so that works both ways. Is it effective because it drew me into its dreamlike thing in a weird kind of way? I thought it was actually kind of beautiful in a fucked up gross way. Um, or is that just because it wasn't effective and like shocking me? Um, yeah, I think it's all through her perspective because that's the lens in a way that we're looking at the movie. So if she is if she's freaking out the entire time or that's how it, the that's how the director cut it in a certain way uh then that tension is going to come across on screen right um but what what he does instead is he shows you the those birthing scenes and he he doesn't pull away from it and then the next longer scene is just of her mainly her her entire self there just kind of looking I mean, maybe a little standoffish, um, but you don't get a sense of terror at all, like at all. If, if she's sitting there like screaming or freaking out or, or trying to get away or anything like that, but she's just in it, seeing everything that's happening, maybe taking one or two steps back, but never running away. So there's a, I think there's a level of safety there that the audience can handle um but if if you put it in the hands of someone who is just like very much say like say like an eli roth or something like that if you put it in his hands at that exact scene it is going to translate in a completely different way right um but i think with him with his movies how he he approaches everything very like in a very cerebral type of way that is that is the kind of that is the language that he knows how to film right so there wasn't a a sense that i was supposed to look away from it at all you know there was a sense that i have to 
watch it the entire time or I'm going to miss something as far as the story or the tone or the language that he's trying to get across. Otherwise I'm going to miss the point. So, yeah. I feel like hearing you both talk about that scene brings up the scene in the end of annihilation with the alien. Yes. And it was the same, almost not shot for shot, but just there's the stoicness from the, the protagonist and then this, crazy being whatever it is just this this insane thing happening on screen and just being able to just accept it and lean into it like you said eric it's Mm -hmm. that's to me is what's playing on my head right now so did you guys think in the birthing scene it being directed by a male do you think he tried to make it not grotesque but more birth-like because of you know the mother nature aspect and the nature aspect of it do you think it was trying to show men how, I guess, grotesque uh, birth is? And then also to show that this is them coming, you know, being birthed and that, you know, you're all the same, I guess. You know, you're going to be one type of architect of men every time you're born. I kind of got that the second time. Like, that was the only anti-men thing I kind of got from it was that it was birthing every man type of man that she knew. So basically it was just birthing every man was going to be, you know, a negative towards that. So that's, I got that the second time around. I don't know if you guys. Yeah. I think that's interesting though, because I think like, I don't care if the movie's anti-men at all. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like I saw a lot of myself in a lot of the way those guys were. I'm hundred mm-hmm. percent honest. I'm not yeah. going to dress it up. You know what I mean? Like, I've done some shitty things to women in my life. You know what I mean? I've been a shitty guy. Hopefully I've learned from those things and I've gotten better. You know what I mean? And like, I've I, as I've grown up, I've become more sympathetic. You know what I mean? And I've become like more aware of the, my toxic uh, attributes that are just inherently baked into me based around the way I was raised and the company that I kept or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm super comfortable with the fact that like, I don't feel like I know I'm like, my role in society is of one of privilege in my role in society, not only because of my skin color, but also because of my sex. And like, I'm comfortable with that. And I'm comfortable with the movie having a message that would be specifically anti the male patriarchy. Right. I'm super into that. That's totally fine. That does not bother me at all. What I want is, is I want something more interesting than that. I want something more. Yeah, I want something more nuanced in the conversation than that mm-hmm. because that is boring to me because I don't think that is true. I think that all men have all traits of those different things inherently. It's how you choose to, you know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah, behave. I mean, I think probably what kind of turned you off and maybe it did me too so to a certain extent is is the fantastical nature of it, you know, of the story that it was telling. Maybe that was... I don't know, maybe that to you was a little bit of a scapegoat quality to it, where yeah. where instead, say like, I'll, I'll reference a movie where you get the entire uh, arc of a relationship, um, and I watched this movie when I was going through an arc in a relationship too, and that was uh, a movie called Reservation Road with yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, DiCaprio and Winslet. Um, and you you see from the beginning how everybody's in love and you get to see that arc and how everything kind of peaks and everything declines sort of thing. So but but you're getting both sides. You're getting both sides the entire time with this. 
you're getting a very kind of limited view of her and uh, you're, you're seeing it, you're seeing the relationship come crashing down in the most horrible way possible. Um, but that's pretty much it. And then you get this fantasy type world that, that doesn't, to me, it, it didn't, it didn't play with, um, maybe those underlying elements that he maybe wanted to address, but that's the thing though. I don't know if he really wanted to address it at all sort of thing. I know. You know, that's what keeps getting me. I, I think, I think that's what that, yeah, you weren't you weren't given a this is what it is. This is what you need to really kind of analyze. Um, instead, you got this might be what it is. This might be what you need to analyze. Um, but your opinion might be right or wrong, and I'm not going to tell you. So, yeah, and. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. I don't know if you want to say something. Well, yeah, no, I was just going to say I, I'm hearing this and I'm agreeing with that because I'm wondering if this movie had been more dialogue-driven, more character-driven, with more fleshing out of everyone, and had none of the body horror stuff happen, none of the fantastical elements, if it would have hit better, and if it didn't spoon-feed you what the, what the, I, the whole premise is. 100%. 100%. And, that's what I think. Yeah, and I can see it being that way. I think he tackled it pretty well in Ex Machina mm-hmm. because you got the perspective of the, not the Isaac, uh, uh, Oscar Dominic, Isaac character, uh, but the uh, Dom, I forget his name, Eric yeah, Moment. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, re- the redhead character, you know, the, young, the younger programmer. Um, so yeah. you get his kind of why, why he was there, his... Um, his motivations, you get Oscar Isaac's motivations. That's a different type of male character uh, motivations that you're getting, but you're also getting the kind of that AI uh, motivation as well. And that's very much dialogue driven. It's a very much filling in the blank sort of deal. Um, And that's, that does make it a far superior type movie and and then you when you get into annihilation he's really kind of messing around with and experimenting with the avant-garde science fiction ideas and i think that maybe in men this might be a slight melding of the two yeah well apparently so i i I listened to an interview with garland and he said that he wrote this movie 15 years ago Mm. So oh, it's been sitting around and one, and he's and it's went through like ten revisions. He's changed it ten times. He changed the ending of the movie because him and his daughter are super into Attack on Titan. So he became obsessed with Attack on Titan, and then like the visual elements of that, mm. he changed the way that the end sequence plays out because he's super into that. And so that I think that kind of gives away some of it. What's going on in like. Um, I just think, yeah, I think the problem is, is that he gives us an unreliable narrator, which mm-hmm. is her. Mm-hmm. And I think he's doing her disservice by making it unreliable. Great. Make it reliable and then let it play out. But don't make it unreliable and then play it because it just makes it seem wishy-washy towards the end. And then and then if the, if the metaphor of the movie is, in, 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 in if it's all its themes are as transparent as its themes appear to be, then that's a little boring in my opinion, yeah. like I expected something a little bit more nuanced from him and, or a better horror movie 
give me a better horror movie or give me a better mo- mm-hmm. movie about these themes. And like, I think it was you were talking about Zach or Chris, where you said if this was more dialogue heavy and more of a interpersonal drama that played out and we ha- had more time with her interacting with people in the village and she, we saw her interacting and like if the the fact of the matter is that he drops out of the female police officer and it is infuriating to me because then it just it 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 basically means that like either it's supposing either she is in in so overwhelmed with uh resentment and grief and obviously you'd be angry at this person for doing this to you you'd be angry if somebody did that to you because mm-hmm. as much as you'd be sad and you'd be missing them it's such a fucking terrible thing to do to somebody um to put that they like to make you feel guilt for something that you can't control is like terrible thing to do so if she is angry and she is bitter and she is struggling to cope with it and then she is as the movie's suggesting seeing all men is different versions of the same man is different versions of a husband then that's one thing but then when you drop that other woman into it and don't tell me how that other woman reacts to that situation, then you're making her super unreliable because now Mm -hmm. I don't know if she is or she isn't. And it's just, it's just sloppily done. Yeah. You're not sure. You're not sure what she's really seeing sort of thing. And then you're also not sure if he kills himself or if it was a horrible accident. Exactly. Because that was brought up It's vague on that. Yeah. That kind of ruined it part for me because I was, I really was going for the the suicide storyline because it was so well done with the dialogue in the apartment and the heaviness and it kind of brings you to where her character is and then when it kind of throws in that maybe you know he accidentally fell it kind of took it a little bit of the edge off in terms of like just the seriousness of their two stories yeah totally like if you take the horror out of the movie Right, and then you make it. I'm not telling them how to write the movie because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But like, if you were to take the horror out of the movie, right, and then you would, we were to see her interacting with more men, like, and see her. So, I was, am I supposed to believe now that because of the, like, despite how horrible that situation was for her, that she's never going to meet another guy and fall in love again? She's only ever going to see men as this, this um, pariah or this, like, like a parasitic type of thing like that's not true people have other male like relationships in their lives like women have sons women have like fathers and like best friends who are men and like and then like it it would be far more interesting if this if this thing was being played out but it wasn't set against the background of the horror where it didn't amplify everything to make it like so like here's a hammer and a nail you know what I mean because Mm -hmm. I'm amplifying everything so everything's terrifying and everything's scary and everything's fucked up that conversation about how she's viewing men is far more interesting if the stakes aren't as high because it's more nuanced and it's more like oh you know what I mean yeah I don't know maybe I I agree like if they had like I told you earlier like I was frightened about the way the men were portrayed and her interactions with them less about the body stuff and what if they had just done a he had just done a whole movie that was very calm, but just underlying sinister aspects underneath it and really showed how what she was thinking too. This character just reacts the whole time. We don't really know what she's thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, it's the setup is so good. And like her wandering, the time that we're with her by herself is so good. Even when she's just like laying in the bath or she's like reading or like the, specifically the scene where she's walking in the, in the woods by herself. It's just, it's, it's amazing it's transfixing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where with her 
and we're like with her you know what i mean like we're alongside of her Mm -hmm. and like we know that she's going through a lot but like it's almost like it's like hey like if you had a friend and you were with a friend it's like you don't have to tell me what's wrong with you i'm just gonna hang out with you you know what I mean? We're just going to vibe together. I felt like we were vibing with her. And then like, I felt like I was getting to know her. And then it's all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. But this guy's really bad. She has to run from this guy. And it's like, but it's like, I'm not getting to know her. I'm not getting to like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not really getting her side of the story. We don't get her side of the story. This could have been more of a all. slice of life and maybe been more effective. I don't know. I, I, I still think it's a really good movie. I and do too. To loop back to loop back the reason why i said that is because i hope my hope is is that garland is aware of these conversations and it's it's he's deliberately made it that way so we will talk about it in negatives and cons you know what i mean Mm. and if it's written with that way to kind of like uh subvert the initial reaction then I think it's really clever. I just don't think that's what he did. I think he was very much hitting that nail with the hammer. And that's disappointing. Mm. For somebody who's such a good writer. Yeah, well, if he's listening to this, he'd be like, that guy's a fucking dick. (laughs) (laughs) Can I, uh, can I ask something um, that is not this movie related, but it is related to seeing movies. And that is, Mm -hmm. um, how many movies have you guys seen where the, where audience members walk out because we this had someone movie. we had a we had a couple walk out of this one yeah. we did my second show in yeah. when i saw it by myself i had five six people walk out halfway through yeah yeah but yeah they the, we when we saw it there were there was a couple in front of us they walked out about halfway yeah that's true um, i remember them really yeah yeah wow and, um, I don't even remember that. I mean, Human Centipede, <laughs> when that when the first one was in theaters, I remember people walking out of that like crazy. Well, Have I you, can understand that. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll 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 pose this question: Have you ever walked out of a movie? I've I talked to this as with Zach, and I've walked out of two movies before. One, one movie one. I walked out halfway to smoke a cigarette. And that was Thousand Ways to Die in the <laughs> West because I was so bored. <laughs> oh wow! But I've, and I almost left Sucker Punch. That, uh, that's oh, a close yeah. one. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I had I uh, that. Dragon Wars. Just a horrific. <laughs> oh, hor- I lasted twenty minutes and I had to leave. Oh, it's so the CG. It's like a white <laughs> grandfather telling his white kid about this ancient Asian dragon. And I was like, that ain't playing with me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> what What about you, Scott? Twenty one, and it was um. Batman and Robin. Oh. <laughs> yes. Good call. <laughs> and that's just because I thought it was fucking terrible. Um, I have... 21, but I've never walked out of a movie because of content. Yeah. No, 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 no. I've, I've never walked out because I was squeamish or like it affected me in such a way that I was like, I wasn't mature enough to handle it. I left movies because they were just bad, like bad. Mm. So the one movie I walked out on was uh, Sudden Death, with Van Damme when that came out. That's pretty good, I was actually. Like, this is, I gotta, I gotta leave. So I left. But um, the second movie was, uh, it was it was hyped by uh, people that I had worked with in the past. And they were like really into this animated series. 
and I hadn't watched it at all. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with you guys and I'll have fun, whatever. And that was um, The Last Airbender. Uh, the M. Night Shyamalan's Last oh, Airbender. Yeah. Oh, the Shyamalan. And yeah. I, sat, I sat down and I'm not kidding you, within 10 minutes, I looked over at my eye down the aisle of my friends and they and they turned to look at me and they're just shaking their head like I'm so sorry <laughs> and I was like I I got to go guys and I just got up and left <laughs> it was it was <laughs> so bad so I always find it um super interesting when um when people have such an experience with the movie that they just have to walk away from it that also uh, I'll I'll say that I went to see Bad Santa in the theater and I thought it was great hilarious I loved it but uh, a couple walked out on that one and then I went and saw it again with a a friend and then a family came and sat in front of us and I told her within the first five minutes these people are going to leave and that's exactly what happened (laughs) (laughs) It 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 was two parents with their two kids who both looked at each other and then they both, then they, they all stood up and left. So, wow. I don't know. It, it's, it was super interesting. I just, re- I remember those people leaving it in the halfway through this movie. And, and it just kind of gave me the idea of, I wonder how many movies everybody has walked out on. I mean, it's interesting, like when people do it. The couple that left that was in front of me when I saw it a second time, like, I really want to tell them, give it 10 minutes. Give it ten minutes. It's gonna get there. <laughs> I I think maybe people were bored. Like I mean, I mean, it's a movie that expects you to sit through it and experience it and just and kind of go with it. And I think it it hit it, it hit a certain pace after that after the beginning when she's in the countryside and she's walking and right when she gets in the, in the forest and starts walking, it tells you what it's going to be cinematically. Mm-hmm. And if that is something that you aren't ready for, cause it's, it's also, you have to be to a degree, you have to be in a, in a mind space in a mindset for, for this one. Otherwise I could see how people would be like, Nope, I've, I'll go ask for a refund or whatever because it's this isn't what I signed up for. So I could see it happening more than not. It's definitely yeah. a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, totally. And I that's the stuff I like the most about it though. I like I like the the um the vibe of it. I like the 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 quiet like um I don't know, hypnotic elements of it. Um, I thought the soundtrack was really, really good. Um, I thought it was a good use of the song at the beginning and the end of the movie. F- beginning of the movie, it's sang by a woman. At the end of the movie, it's sang by a man. Same song. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, that, that's that. interesting that you say that because I really wanted to kind of dive a little bit more into that song because I think some of the movie is explained in those lyrics. But I, I wasn't paying that that close yeah, attention to it. I know what you mean. But I, I bet you more than anything, if you really kind of look at those lyrics, you get you get something out of it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah, and like 
just before we kind of wrap things up to, I do want to mention the performances in the movie because we haven't really talked about the performances, but I think she's a spectacular actress, Jessie Buckley. I think she's oh, a yeah, huge sure. talent. Um, I She's really good in, I'm thinking of ending things, the Netflix. Um, yeah, uh, Kaufman. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, she's really good in that. Um, she's in The uh, Lost Daughter, I think it was called, the uh, movie with Dakota Johnson in... Um, um, that English actress who it's on Netflix. Yeah, she's a good in that. She yeah. plays the younger version of um, I forgot that actress's name. Um, very famous British actress. She plays like the younger version of her in the past. She's really good in that. And I thought the the main actor, I think his name is it Rory Kinnear, um, who played all the different versions of the men. I thought he was mm-hmm. amazing. I thought he was really really good. Yeah, Did he great. play the yeah. bartender as well? All of them. Yep. Okay. Everybody. Okay. I thought I was like I was like maybe the bartender <laughs> was the one who did it. <laughs> well yeah it's funny so Every, i didn't know i didn't know the first except yeah. the female police officer yeah. <laughs> but what's funny is is eric told me not to watch the second trailer because the second trailer gives it away that he's playing all of the oh characters really because i'm familiar with the actor so like i could see him as a like immediately i could see him playing all the men so like it kind of the second trailer is a bit of a bummer but what's crazy is is i know zach when you came out you were like that was the same guy when I saw it with Jason, Jason came out and Jason was like, and I said it was the same. He was like, hold on a second. What? And I was like, he goes, that was the same man. For, and I was like, yeah. yeah. And he was like, holy shit. <laughs> so I love how people are still getting that reveal yeah. and it's still like a thing. Like I you thought he I mean? just played the vicar was his, so I was like, that's the same guy as the cop. And then, yeah, you guys told me it was everybody. I was like, that guy's got some talent. Oh yeah. yeah. He's, he's yeah. super good. Um, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, a lot of British TV surprise surprise he's in black mirror obviously um yeah a, a bunch i tell you what he's in which is really good um there's a showtime series called penny dreadful mm-hmm. i didn't finish it but it was pretty good he plays yeah, frankenstein and penny dreadful yeah. he's, he's a really good yeah. performance in that uh so performance wise i think the movie's excellent i think the cinematography in the movie is beautiful i think the setting is wonderful like there's a lot to love about the movie and and the conversation regarding the movie whether it's you are struggling against the movie, uh, pushing back against the movie. I still appreciate the fact that we can talk for two hours about this movie yeah, and still sure. be like, mm. you know, pulling it apart. And like, and I love that. And I think that's a real strength of the movie. So I think the movie is really, really good. I'm just not, uh, as my final verdict so far, I'm not 100% comfortable on how I rate it. Hence why I didn't get my top five. My perspective has yeah. shifted a little bit from this conversation and I definitely want to revisit it. Yeah, second time's a charm for this movie because mm-hmm. the movie really, really sings the second time. It's like, I don't know, it's like, it's really effective second time through. Okay, so I think, should we wrap it up, guys? Yeah. Yeah, sounds okay, good. Okay, because I know you've got Stranger Things to watch, Chris. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for sticking around again. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Zach. Um, thank you to everybody who's been listening to the podcast. Um, our numbers have been shooting up pretty dramatically. Really? Um, yes, we had a 500% increase in our average place. 500%. Nice. Um, amazing. Wow. I know. So I'm going to do a little bit of bragging right now, and we <laughs> should all pat ourselves on the back because I think we've been... All of us have been trying really hard to make the podcast uh, as best as we can make it. It is interesting as we can make it. Um, so um, I think we should pat ourselves on the back because uh, I think we're doing a good job and it seems to be paying off slightly. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. That's awesome. Um, okay. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks thank you. Uh, to all our listeners. Everybody have a great evening. Yeah. yeah. See you.